0: up, everybody. It's Keith Billick here with the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Happy to have you joining me. And I'm, I'm happy about all sorts of stuff, not the least of which is the fact that up here in Michigan, we are finally getting warm days and sunny days, and there are birds, there are leaves, um, the, you know, the weather is turning around. And of course, that just makes me look forward to getting back out to my outdoor backyard studio uh for some of these episodes and in case you haven't heard those basically what that is is when it's warm out sometimes rather than sitting in my basement recording these like I am doing right now I set up recording gear outside and do it out there so I really kind of live on the edge that's pretty that's pretty adventurous for me so I'm looking forward to that and uh hope you are all experiencing Some of the same uh, springtime vibes as I am. Speaking of getting good vibes, you know what else really does it for me is my lovely, intelligent, talented Patreon supporters of the show. And this episode's special Patreon supporter is Joel Meredith. Joel found the show because of my very first guest Davy Jones. Davy was the featured artist for episode number one of Picky Fingers and happens to be Joel's banjo teacher. So Joel, uh, thank you so much for supporting the show. I'm glad to hear that you are in very capable banjo hands of uh, of Davy's there. And tell him I said, hey, for those of you who are not already on the Patreon site, head over to patreon.com slash banjopodcast and for just a couple few bucks a month you can help support the show and it really does help and i really do appreciate it very very much another reward or benefit that you will receive for being a patreon subscriber monthly vip lounge video meetups and this month's vip lounge is scheduled for may 19th that's a thursday at 9 p.m eastern time so head on over to that Patreon page to get the meeting link for that and to show your support for the show. As always, you can also contact me at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Maybe some of you need to give me a shout to let me know that you are going to be at Delfest in a couple weeks. I will be there. They are letting me set up a backstage podcasting booth so i am very excited to see who i run into there i'll be recording some stuff and uh, who knows what to expect but if i get anything good you will certainly get to hear it so go check out Dellfest fest the lineup is incredible and if any of you are there try to track me down and say hey We have a freshly picked episode featuring the new album by Brittany haas with paul court and mike geisbacher titled the impromptu sessions number one now i know what you're all saying you're all saying you know Brittany haas is a fantastic fiddler probably one of the best of her generation but keith this is a banjo podcast to which i would answer i know she put out a banjo album, Can You Believe It? So I was really excited to hear it, and not only is it a banjo album, but it's a banjo plus two upright bass album. So there's a lot to dig into with that, but you know that with musicians like Brittany, Paul, and Mike, they're going to come up with something good, even if it is maybe slightly unusual in terms of the the instrumentation and the approach but regardless of which instrument she's playing I am a huge Brittany Haas fan so please enjoy this interview on her new album Impromptu Sessions number one Hey, Brittany, we're here to talk about your new album, and I really want to hear more about you as a banjo player because everyone knows you as a fiddler. And if for some reason they don't, uh, a shame on you. And b, <laughs> go, go listen to some of Brittany's fiddling. But I was thrilled to see that you're coming out with a banjo album. But it was it was a surprise because I didn't know about that uh, part of you. So so maybe just give us a lead-in about how long have you been working on the banjo and why have you been keeping it such a secret
1: (laughs) um great question and uh thanks for having me keith so i i got this banjo i have the same old banjo i've always had i got it when i was about 14 and Mm -hmm. that was um a time when i was deep in the throes of my obsession with bruce which still continues (laughs) to this day but Mm -hmm. um at that point i just wanted to be exactly like bruce and as you know he plays pretty much all the instruments. And he does it really well. Um, so not that I was like done with the fiddle or anything, but I just was kind of excited to branch out a little bit. And I thought banjo would be a fun second instrument. Um, so he helped me find this banjo. It's a Mike Ramsey banjo. And I, at the time I was taking fiddle lessons from Jack Tuttle in Palo Alto, California, where I grew up, and at that time he was teaching. Actually, he still teaches through Griffin Stringed Instruments. It's a guitar store in the area, yeah. and there was an amazing old time banjo teacher there, Tom Colbertson. So I I got a banjo and I took a couple lessons from Tom, and and then whenever Bruce was passing through, I'd like go to workshops with him. <laughs> yeah. And so it's kind of always been there, but very much like on the side, you know. I still. I guess I don't know how people decide, you know, when they're a multi-instrumentalist and when they're just one, they play one thing, but then the other stuff, you know, is there sometimes. <laughs> so yeah. I'm maybe more in that category of, like, I still consider myself really only a fiddle player, even though I like to mess around on the banjo and the guitar and sometimes the mandolin. So, yeah, it didn't, it didn't occur to me to, like, really do anything with the banjo other than, like, play it for fun at sessions and stuff like that. Yeah. Um and then, I don't know, just the, the weirdness of the world and the fact that we were all stuck in our houses for a long time kinda, I think, prompted me to want to release some music because it had been a while since I did that really, like, under my name, especially. Um, yeah. And then I, it, I just had this kind of moment where I was like, this, this feels really good. I like this music that's happening right now, which happened to be me playing banjo and my pod mates both playing the double bass. We were at my friend Mike's house, Mike Eisbucker. who's a great bass player in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And he had his banjo laying around. He was just moving into a new house, and there was a banjo, and then there was the two basses, you know, in the corner, like bass players <laughs> like to, like, <laughs> set them up there. Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: So we were just having a tune after dinner one night, and, yeah, I thought it was a nice combination of instruments, so that sort of sparked it being like it would be nice to put music into the world and like oh here's some music that sounds like sort of different than anything i've really ever heard before and it also just feels really nice and there's something really freeing about playing these tunes that i've played forever on the fiddle and i think of yeah. them as like kind of quintessential old time fiddle tunes <laughs> right where i wouldn't totally feel 100% comfortable making a an a fiddle album of these same tunes
0: Oh, interesting.
1: I don't know yeah. why I it's probably I'm too up in my head about it, but it's just sort of like why would I do that when like everybody already knows these tunes? They've been played yeah. so well on the fiddle. Like I don't really need to add that to the sea of music. <laughs> but it felt like with this banjo interpretation it was like something a little different that that
0: was worth maybe you didn't maybe you didn't have to take it quite as seriously as you would have been forced to take it
1: absolutely yeah
0: okay interesting but it also wasn't part of some long planned like banjo coming out party for you it was was (laughs) just kind of an idea (laughs) Uh, I mean it's it's literally your album is literally called uh impromptu so I guess that kind of says it for itself totally So let's, like, dig into some of the music. So track one is is Lost Girl, and it's a really cool lead-off track. I feel like there's already a lot to to talk about it. And first of all, I just think it's a really cool example of your playing. And one of my favorite things is you seem to have a good grasp on this... a skill that's really challenging for both bluegrass players and I think old time players, which is bringing out the melody and -hmm. distinguishing that from like your rhythm strokes or your rhythm, rhythm picking as it were, depending on your, on your style and a lot of cool syncopations. So maybe talk about how you've approached being able to do that so well.
1: I think, well, obviously my my approach is coming from a fiddler's mind, so, and because there's not a fiddle on this record, so I'm the only melody instrument, um, kind of is a unique thing, because usually, or from what I understand of old-time banjo, it's usually heard with the fiddle, and the banjo is playing something that resembles the melody, but is not trying to hit every single note because that's just not necessary when that's already happening on the fiddle, you know. Right. Um yeah. but since there was no fiddle, I and and because I'm my mind is like 100% melody, like that's just like how I'm wired from fiddling for so many years. So that's what I'm trying to get out and I'm trying, you know, like there's that I don't know what the exact quote is. It's something about like how like art uh, or Im- uh, da, 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 da. limitations like enhance or whatever. you know, like like actually having something holding you back can help you create something that's like more, yeah, meaningful or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the banjo, I am limited <laughs> in my abilities. Um, so I'm just trying to get the melody out as best as I can. and I'm in a, a kind of different tuning. I'm not in the standard G tuning for a lot of this and actually the whole record it's all in the key of either f or g and the so i'm using what's called the last chance tuning or that's what i've heard it called anyways okay that so it's like c f c d f um so it has that second in there which is kind of cool and i don't know i just basically like was playing in this tuning and realizing that that Tunes fit there pretty nicely, and for some reason, like the G tuning, actually has always been like weird for me. I think it's because of my fifth wired brain. Like I have that same problem on the guitar where the third interval just totally throws me off oh, every time. Oh, it's bananas!
0: Yeah, it doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> so not but you can
0: deal with, but you can deal with a second. Yeah, like you you have a fifth and a second within that banjo tuning. Like how? <laughs> That's nuts.
1: I think because. Because, well, it sounds really nice just open with the second ringing, but you can put your finger down on the third fret and close the chord, and then you just um, have 5-1, 5-1. Uh, um, so that's sort of the default position there. Um, I don't know. So it's, it's almost like the second isn't really there, but it's useful when you're playing a melodic line. Yeah. Uh, in this tune <laughs> um, because that tune lost girl lands on this the sixth of the melody a lot it's nice to have that one as an open string so that kind of oh. works out nicely
0: cool cool and then in general was that something you had to work on a lot or maybe you're just your melody brain forced your hands into into really being able to emphasize those melody notes because uh, a, a difficulty a lot of banjo players have: the melody gets lost a lot, especially mm-hmm. especially in bluegrass. You know, it can just sound like a a beehive or something like that, with notes bouncing all over the place, and it's hard to pick out those melodies. But
2: yeah, it's a, you're, it's yours a just, just jump right
0: out.
1: Like having having well, with bluegrass, like because the melody note might be in the middle, right? Of the like, cluster. yeah, it can be
2: anywhere. Yeah.
1: yeah, um, I don't know. I think. Like, like, like I was saying about just sort of being like limited, just, and just having to choose the notes that I want to, to come out. And, you know, because of what I can do with my right hand, having to, to be like, well, that falls on this beat, so that's going to be possible, or this one's not going to be possible. So I'm going to have to like do a drop thumb, or I'm going to have to skip that one, depending. Yeah. But you can kind of make it into a skeleton of the melody that still works and is recognizable, I think, and that's sort of what I was trying to do.
0: Yeah, excellent. Let's go to the next one, The Pleasures of a Single Life. Another great, catchy-sounding tune. Let's talk about this gentleman named John Salyer. Am I, do you know if I'm pronouncing that right? Salyer, yeah. Salyer. Mm-hmm. And from the liner notes, it, it appears that you know both of your first two tracks are directly... Maybe he didn't write them, but you, you attribute it your version somewhat uh, based on his recordings. Mm-hmm. And then there's also another one later on the album. So it's it's apparent that he had an influence on you. I've never heard of this guy, perhaps because uh, <laughs> I keep saying that I'm, I'm just a lowly bluegrass player. <laughs> but uh, t- talk about who he was and what drew you to his playing.
1: Yeah, honestly, I wish I knew more about him. And that's sort of been a part of my journey playing old-time music is that I, I came to it through Bruce Molsky, um, who's a great you know, tradition bearer and sharer of this wealth of knowledge of fiddle tunes and fiddle yeah. styles from all these different folks around the Southern Appalachians. Um, so I, I was made aware of John Saliers playing through Bruce, and. I mean, he, you can hear him. There's all these recordings um, that are available online. You, like, you can get some of it on Bandcamp. You can get a bunch of it just on Slippery Hill. That's a great um, resource website for finding source recordings of tunes. Um, Slippery-Hill.com. And uh, so a lot of my, like, tune learning has happened on there, which... You know, it's not the ideal way in an oral tradition to to just be online poking around. But, you know, you take what you can get these days. And uh, I was teaching a fiddle course early on in the pandemic and was just trying to learn some new tunes for that. And that's when I found that Pleasures of a Single Life tune. And I just really loved it. And uh, I mean, yeah. Are
0: you are you under are you do you have the understanding that he did not. Compose himself a lot of these uh, um I or what's your what's your impression not sure. about that? sure
1: I don't think he composed them all, but he might have composed some of them,
0: yeah, yeah, tough to maybe we'll never know
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> somebody probably knows this is not me
0: so is he he's a fiddler, I assume mm-hmm. mm-hmm. okay, and is is what draws you to him, and maybe it's both is it his actual just the tune selection or are there actually aspects of his um, fundamental playing that you've taken from, I guess, I guess maybe now we're in fiddle. land already,
2: <laughs>
1: Yeah, but. that's fine. Um, yeah, both I'd say, um, like I became aware of him because of all these tunes that come from him that people play a lot, like Lost Girl, you know, these tunes that you hear a lot in jams. Um, uh-huh. but then, you know, trying to revisit the actual recordings because we have those. And I think it's easy to forget that in, when you're, at a festival and you're just sitting in a jam and learning a bunch of old time tunes right. from the people you're sitting with, which is such a beautiful way to do it. But then it's also nice to go back to the source and just hear how they actually played it. Um, and yeah, his fiddle playing is really beautiful and it kind of has that cool combination of smooth yet rhythmic bowing. So it's not like the, the figure eight Tommy Gerald Surrey County, North Carolina kind of vibe that Bruce really does super well. Um, the pulsing of the bow it's more it's more just like straight up and down bow strokes really even but but with so much rhythm in there
0: wow yeah i'm gonna have to i'm going to have to check that out for sure well let's talk about cookhouse joe then because i really love how we get you know it's it's like a two-minute piece and we get uh some really beautiful passages and also some like dissonant passages totally this is where i'm going to start making you talk about the like instrumentation of the album which of course is probably like the number one question that you get asked <laughs> about like what's the deal with this album i got to see ornette Coleman play live uh wow. and he had two double basses mm. and he's like synonymous with avant-garde music mm-hmm. so as far as i know this is like the first banjo plus <laughs> two upright bass album and i guess i'm bringing it up in the context of cookhouse joe because we really get to hear the contrast in the in between the two bass players on this one, mm-hmm. and I guess as a side note, this album is a really great like headphone listen mm. because of how, of how you have them panned. You can really individualize what each of the players is doing. Totally. So, um, I, I'm sure you have to explain this, but I just talk about the choice of having this instrumentation. You you already alluded to it a little bit, but.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the reason it worked so well is because, well, for one, it's two people who play in a sort of a similar way. Like Mike has definitely learned a lot from Paul, I used to take lessons from him. And so there's kind of a, a similar mindset in their approach to the bass,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is pretty wide for, for what a, what you normally hear a bass doing. You know, they can definitely do that thing, the kind of, alternating, you know, root and fifth thing on a tune like any of these, but then they can also take it into this like cello realm where they're using the bow, they're playing much higher, just kind of using the full extent of the bass. Um, So having two of them, you can get both of those things at once or you can have, you can have it doubling up on the plucking low thing or the bowing high thing or the bowing low thing or whatever. Like there's just a lot of combinations of those two Things and I think they was fun for them to kind of have that freedom to not be confined to just holding it down as a bass player.
0: But even for people who maybe know two really talented bass players, the idea to have them both on the same recording <laughs> is still like maybe a bridge too far for most people. But you you didn't seem to have that hang up, I guess.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I just when I heard it, I liked it and. It seemed fun, I suppose, <laughs> it's like for everybody involved. Like, and that was kind of part of the whole concept. Like, here we are, just playing tunes, and everybody's feeling exploratory in this like jam slash session.
0: Yeah, and were you pretty resolute about keeping it to only that instrumentation?
1: Um. Yeah, I think I didn't even like consider an alternative like maybe i was like oh i could have a solo banjo thing but then i was like yeah no it's too nice just playing with these guys just do the whole thing like that
0: i mean i guess because uh because critter is credited on on the album as what a, a recording engineer or assistant or something like that yeah i mean you have him on site
1: <laughs> i know i know it's it's a, a too too much good things you can't you can't have it all or you maybe can but <laughs> um, but you
0: decided not to
1: yeah i don't know he was there he brought he has a lot of amazing microphones and he's really good at knowing how to capture sound well so mm-hmm. that was why i called him and he just came over the first night and set up the mics and a couple bass traps in the corners and i was like okay sounds good and then he left
0: <laughs> let, let you do your thing
1: he's a busy man <laughs>
0: Hey folks, there has never been a better time to learn banjo online through video lessons, and the best game in town is Peghead Nation, one of our sponsors. With Peghead Nation's streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, You'll be able to learn bluegrass, old-time, and plenty of other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of banjo instruction with some of these courses, check it out. Beginning Banjo with Bill Evans, Bluegrass Banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer Banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward Style Banjo with Bruce Mulski, The Banjo According to Danny Barnes, and Contemporary Bluegrass Banjo, with Wes Corbett. Now, no matter what course you select, they're all going to come with high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation, plenty of tab, play-along tracks, and tunes and songs for you to learn. Perhaps best of all, If you join any of these Peghead Nation video courses now, you'll get your first month free just for being a Picky Fingers banjo podcast listener. So just go to PegheadNation.com and use the promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout. Another sponsor of the show is GHS Strings. We banjo players know that a banjo is only as good as the quality of strings that you put on it, And GHS has a long track record of providing the top quality in banjo strings to some of the top industry professionals such as Bela Fleck, J.D. Crowe, Sonny Osborne, Todd Taylor, and me. I'm a GHS user, so check them out at GHSstrings.com. Now, if you ask me where I go to purchase my GHS strings, that answer is simple. It's the same place that I go for all of my banjo, guitar, and any other stringed instrument needs. It's Elderly Instruments here in Lansing, Michigan. They've been family-owned since 1972, and it's the world's most trusted source for new, used, and vintage instruments and all the accessories and strings that you might need. Now if you aren't close enough to Lansing, Michigan to visit them in person you can also see their entire inventory online at elderly.com or feel free to give them a call to speak to a knowledgeable salesperson at 517-372-7880 or once again see what they have at elderly.com. I mentioned that you do have the bases panned Hard left and right. Uh, I have my guess, but who's in which
1: channel? Um, I forget. Okay. <laughs> I'm the worst. I really, no, I really hmm. don't know. But the, usually Paul's playing higher.
0: Okay. So that that's well, so I think that means he's in the left, which would have been my guess. But uh-huh. if I if I'm wrong, then it just means you have your headphones in the wrong
1: ears, <laughs> right?
0: That's and then it. there was
1: one moment. I think it was in um shove the pig's foot in that that the tune that starts with the the intro was both bowed bases uh-huh. and we were sitting in dave cinco's mastering mixing studio and we were like what if like you know the panning like changes oh. in the middle <laughs> you know like the curtains coming to the middle so that there's a little moment where there's a an alteration in the panning
0: it's in the sun yeah when there's no banjo they get to move into yeah and your then it's territory like,
1: and then they like spread <laughs> out again when the banjo comes back in
0: Love it. The next one, Georgia Bell. And this this one, I, I'm trying to access as much of my claw hammer sensibilities mm. as I can muster. Mm-hmm. This one seems like it might be tricky on Clawhammer, and I'm saying that because there there seem to be a lot of like upbeat melody notes. Claw Hammer, but it, it seems like that might be tricky, so yeah. may, maybe talk about that if, if I'm if I'm right, or maybe I'm totally off.
1: No, I think you're totally on, and so this tune, I'm pretty sure that the, this fiddler did write this tune, so it's from Manko Sneed from North Carolina, and the tune's Georgia Bell, like you said, um, and on the fiddle, it's actually quite difficult because it has a lot of string crossings, the melody, I'll just show you really quick, like, kind of what yeah. it sounds like, because he plays it in G, On the fiddle, so it's like... Which is kind of a crazy phrase. And it it lays out, you know, decently on the fiddle, but it's still challenging because you have to switch between three different strings pretty quickly. It's more of an arpeggio thing than a melodic melody. So I actually, there's a typo in the liner notes on this tune, so this is not that same open F last chance tuning. The the bottom string is tuned down to a B-flat. Wow. So it sounds like that. And this was basically me just plunking around and trying to find a tuning in which I could reach all the notes in a way that felt sort of comfortable. Because that's the lowest note, so I needed to tune that one down. Yeah, wow. And also like... I don't know, I liked how this that sounds I'm not even sure like what that is, but I like how it sounds so it, it yeah. kind of creates an open chord that's like not really what you, what the tune is in Anyways, yeah, and then the, the, C, the tune has three parts and the C part is also kind of challenging and it has like this part that goes Oops. I can barely play it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But uh yeah,
1: so that it has like a double down stroke in those first two notes. And I might be wrong about this because I only have a pretty primitive knowledge of how to play a claw hammer banjo, which works Mm -hmm. for most things, but normally you'd only have a one Downstroke with whichever finger you're plucking down with. Um, yeah. But this one, because you're going from the bottom string to the second bottomest string, you just kind of <laughs> slide the finger down. You know.
0: Okay. It's it's almost like a brush, but just a very short one. Yeah. Something.
1: Yeah, totally. Would you ever do so, that in bluegrass?
0: Uh, very rare. On on slower pieces, you can you can play a few thumb notes in a row but mm. in, in generally no you you try to stick to more of a roll style where pretty rare for one finger to pick two notes at, uh in a row but okay. on slow tunes, on slow tunes it happens mm-hmm. uh, fairly regularly so it seems like hearing you talk about that and then hearing you talk about that open f tune or i guess i'll call it an open f it's not really a, you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it seems like you have a way of getting rather than taking the banjo as it is and finding the melody, you have a way of like making the banjo do what you want it to like, cause both of these you've talked about adjusting the tuning to get the notes that you want. And
2: mm-hmm. I don't
0: know. I think that's a little, uh, it's not how I usually think about it. I find that interesting. Mm-hmm. It's,
1: yeah. It's I cool. think maybe that's more of a fiddle thing because with the cross tunings on the fiddle, there are certain things that you can get in the different ones. Um Yeah. But it in and, and some tunes would like definitely be played in cross A or standard standard tuning, but sure. but but some people wouldn't necessarily do that, you know? Like they'd just be like, I like how this sounds or like this interval feels better to me, so I'm gonna tune it that way.
0: I think to me it's just um the prospect of changing the banjo's tuning seems so disorienting mm. that it's almost worth it to play something that's a little more difficult in a tune. I don't know. It's I guess it's just different ways of approaching it.
1: I mean, with bluegrass banjo, I would imagine that changing anything would just, yeah, be kind of like make your whole world crumble. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, from what little I know of like watching people like Greg List, who's amazing. Yeah, like, yeah picking out a melody and like struggling not not to like call him out or something but i feel like that's common for even the best banjo player it takes a while to find where something lies melodically absolutely
0: and i'm really glad to hear that greg does that because yeah i I always tell my bandmates that learning tunes is a two-part process you have to learn what the notes are and then learn how do i find this
1: yeah because on the fiddle there's like maybe two options but like usually (laughs) one (laughs) right so,
0: yeah, it's just really different. Yeah, totally. Moving on to uh shove that pig's foot this is this one that I'm actually familiar with because it has some bluegrass crossover nice. uh jam appeal, but it's definitely a unique uh, version of it, as you already started to describe. Um, I want to use this piece to ask you about the balance of improvisation in on this album or the balance of improv versus to whatever degree you've arranged any of this. Um mm. so maybe like tell me tell me what your game plan was and what what is that balance?
1: Yeah, good that's a great question. Um I think and the name of the album came later and the whole kind of concept of making this a series on the on Padiddle Records where other people could, you know, do a recording of this nature. Yeah, um add on to it. Which I'll I'll talk about the number two one later. But um, so keeping it really unrehearsed was kind of part of the whole concept from the beginning. And we did, we made this album over three nights, almost a year ago. It was May of last year. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, I think at most we did a tune like four times. So it was very much like they kind of knew the tunes, but they didn't even like fully. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, like this this one they knew because they'd heard it before, right? Yeah. But some of the other ones they hadn't they hadn't heard before, and um, yeah, they just sort of picked it up as we went, and and I think that that made for cool ideas because you just grab onto whatever you're getting on that that like first second third listen, right? Um. Which is a cool thing. And I think some other musicians I've worked with, like have a similar studio approach where they kind of, I mean, maybe you've learned it, but they they want to like capture that first playing of it because there's this different energy that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so there wasn't really much arranging. I think we did, we said like, okay, let's start with bows, And then I think Paul was like, let's start in a different key. And then that was that was it.
0: You know, <laughs> you're just game for whatever. <laughs>
1: Pretty much, happened. like I think that's what what was what made it fun for them. Um, and it was I was trying to, you know, let them be them. Um,
2: sure.
1: Not tell anybody what to do and just sort of like feel it out and do my little weird things and see how they reacted to them.
0: <laughs> well, and, and and yeah, that's exactly why I used this piece to. To ask about that because there's a lot of like reharmonization, and I didn't know if that was maybe uh, something that got charted out, or if or if they're just figuring it out. And then also there's you know a few, I guess I'll call it like the Middle Eastern vibe notes, like those half step accidentals in this one that it seemed like they were reacting to you.
1: Right, right, right. I think that might be the, the there's some accidental, like you know, they're I guess they're called accidentals. Um, and maybe that's, I don't know if that came out of somebody playing them by accident at first, but that's definitely sometimes what happens, um, for me. And then there's that whole concept of like, you know, if you play it again, then it wasn't, (laughs) it wasn't a mistake.
0: (laughs) Not at all. Who would, who would suggest that? Well, that's cool. So on on the improv to arranged O-meter, it seems like it's very far to, to the improv side, other than just like the the basic melody
1: right right yeah and i was yeah i mean i'd say like trying to keep it interesting but also without having an idea of like how to take a solo or not really having a a place that i was trying to get to it was more mm-hmm. like here i am in the melody zone and like occasionally i'll try to like get out of it because that seems fun like it'll either like create something that will then make them do something different or something happened and it makes me want to try something. And sometimes
2: that's
1: something that sounds good. Sometimes it's not like just the the (laughs) spirit of going for it in the moment. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And then, like I said, we had a couple takes of each thing. So I was able to choose, choose from those, the ones that seem like the best representation of everybody.
0: Yeah. Cool. Uh, let's talk about ninety degrees, which was written by Brad Leftwich, which I I love when like new old time tunes happen. Yeah, and this one, like I've never heard this one before, but I can tell right away this would be like a jam session banger.
1: Totally.
0: So is, it makes me wonder, is this a common tune that people that people know, or, or is this one that maybe you're out in front of a bit?
1: Um, I'm not totally sure. So I learned it from the album of Bob Carlin called Banging and Sawing, which is awesome. It's him like banjo fiddle duets with a bunch of different fiddlers and um so this tune is on there and yeah i've like played it here and there over the years with other people who knew it or other people who were game to learn it in a a jam and yeah i just kind of always really liked it It, i think it was you know swirling around in my head and i would played it on the fiddle a few times lately and then i kind of thought oh maybe this could work and that that one took a little more figuring because it it has speaking of seconds like that the interval in the open tuning it has a lot of those in the fiddle melody um with the okay. double stops like he's like let's see if i can render it um decently well um it goes which is so cool um uh-huh. so yeah just trying to sort of translate that effect um yeah i hope more people play this tune i think it's totally awesome
0: Yeah, yeah, I dig it. Jenny, Get Around. This one's a really fun one to listen to the basses on. I mean, they kind of all are, but I guess let's revisit that. Did you give much direction to the roles that you wanted each bassist to take it sounds it sounds like probably not now that I've heard yeah what, what you've said about the not
1: really as, as I remember occasionally they would be like oh I want to do this here like can you do this so give me room to do that or I think it would be cool if we did this like kind of thing together in harmony so there were like things that happened naturally that were discussed in between like doing it one pass and then the next pass they're like oh that was cool let's do that again we are like let's start with that because that worked. Yeah, and I think occasionally I would chime in like, oh yes do that, or like,
2: eh,
1: get that.
0: (laughs) But it definitely wasn't like you do the one five thing and you make your crazy bow sounds and it was just le-
1: Yeah, un- Pretty minimal them to do planning. what they were gonna do. Yeah. yeah, but I think that one where Paul's kind of doing the strumming thing, I think that may have yeah. been. Yeah. That was an idea that he had, and he said, Can you do this? So I can do that over it. That one, I think it's probably more normal, because that's actually in like regular G tuning, and <laughs> I haven't. I've, I've heard that one played a lot by fiddlers, but I, I have never like heard a real banjo player do it, and I, I would like to now to see like if they have some tricks that I didn't
0: find yeah yeah for sure i think i'm just going to skip all the way to seneca square dance and i I think our conversation has has led up to this but i think by the time i got to the last track i sort of realized that the whole album is upside down in a way like the the banjo is actually the thing that keeps everything steady Mm. throughout these tunes and makes the basses free to play and and to explore and to do more soloy kind of kind of things and it's totally yeah. totally backwards but it's what makes it fun to listen to
1: <laughs> I like that
0: and I guess also on this last one I'm I'm not saying that there's a a hidden track or hidden portions of music but I'm not not saying that, <laughs> there, that there is, there, there might be a little bonus, bonus You just music.
1: might, yeah. It's hard to know how to do that these days in the, like, digital, you know, like, if somebody's like, why is that track so
0: long, <laughs> you know? Or why is there an, yeah, an extra number? I, I know that's not on this one, but yeah, mm-hmm. you can notice it a, a bit easier. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, like, all the track listing, let's talk about the liner notes. I, I really love... And this is a bit more common in old time music. I wish it was more common in in bluegrass and other other forms of music, but you have like your your sources for the tunes and you have your banjo tunings mm-hmm. listed and I I don't know. I just find that really cool. So <laughs>
2: here
0: here's my vote of thanks for for including that cuz I love when people do that.
1: Cool. Yeah, I almost left out the tunings, but I'm yeah, I'm glad I did that too.
0: Oh no, it's really interesting. And I did have a question about your your F tuning, your Mm F-C-F-C-D tuning that's used on, uh, well, I have 8 of 11, but as it turns out, 7 of 11 Mm -hmm. (laughs) tracks, I guess. Uh, You've already explained it, but is is there anything else that you want to say about how that tuning, because it's apparent that you use it a lot, about why that lets you navigate these tunes so well or why you think you might be more comfortable with that than... Yeah. Uh, most a, of our quote unquote normal old time banjo tunings.
1: Yeah. I think and this is sorta of just a theory because I haven't like really sat down long enough to figure it out, but I think what makes it feel so nice is that because you have the second, it puts your root note at the third fret on the do you call it the fourth string? The one that's uh, that would be the first second track. highest?
0: Oh, the second high, oh, the I would call that the first string,
1: first string, okay, so it goes one, two, three, four, five, yeah, okay, cool, got it, yeah. so the first string instead of like in a, if you're in the regular g tuning, and correct me if I'm wrong, your root note would be on the fifth fret, right,
2: yeah, yeah, so if you're in G, yeah, yeah.
1: Like the fifth fret isn't that high, but it's it's like, especially for somebody who's used to like a fiddle position hand.
0: Where everything's, everything's yeah. It's so much closer.
1: Like, I, my, you know, if I was fiddling on a banjo, everything would be in the first three frets. But so it's like, kind of like twice as big spacing. Yeah. And so just having that note only at the third fret. And then you can kind of, well, nothing. Nothing is played on the the first fret, so i'm I don't think I'm doing a very good job of explaining this It'd be easier if there was video but like so yeah, you can kind of like anchor with your second finger on the third fret of the first string uh-huh. and then like that note on the second or er, the one two third string the fourth finger uh, I don't know. Anyways, what I'm trying to say is just that, like, it's pretty comfortable because everything's right there, and you don't have to stretch very far out of that kind of general zone of the first three or four frets.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I like that. Um, yeah, I don't know, but I I think I like when I was learning banjo, I spent a lot of time in detuning. And there are a lot of like those, the Tommy Gerald, Surrey County tunes. A lot of those are in D. Um, yeah. which it's funny. I've been, I've been out in Johnson City this year teaching at ETSU and there's a, uh-huh. a really lovely, um, old time jam that happens every Tuesday night at the local brewery. Yeehaw. And, yes. um, often we'll start in D and we'll play in D for like three hours (laughs) because like there's just so many tunes in D and everybody loves them because they're kind of like from this area and it just, it's just so comfy. So Uh that, that was like my thing that I was used to on the banjo. Uh Let's see. How does that tuning work? Anyways, that, I think that tuning is kind of similar to this. Sorry, go ahead.
0: Yeah. That, so that would be like, f sharps instead of f's and then a instead of c yeah
1: i think it's this so this is like if you're down in c instead of up a D. kind of out of tune but oh
0: well <laughs> so do you take your banjo a lot to those old time jams do you
1: sometimes yeah
0: yeah okay
1: yeah um It's been fun because I get to coach bands, so I've like gotten to work with banjo players, not like in not in a lesson format, but just being like thinking a little bit more about what they're actually doing.
0: Yeah, the the band roles and arrangements and stuff like that. Yeah.
1: So that I think they call it double C tuning maybe. But that also has a second in it. Right. So something about that. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not sure like what it is, but it makes things lay out nicely. That let's almost like feels like it resembles like what the fifths do for fiddle tunes. It seems like that those like close, slightly closer tunings that don't have a third in them, like things lay out nicely for the way that the melodies,
0: the runs, yeah, 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 cool. So if you said a lot of these tunes are in F, mm-hmm. if you were to, if you were to go and do a, a set of G tunes. Would you, would you use that same tuning? You think and just ramp, uh, ratchet it up. Yeah, a maybe. Step? I okay. don't.
1: I don't know if that's something that you can do. I guess with the capo, you can do anything.
0: <laughs> can, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I need to get one of those spikes though for my the the drone string. Um,
0: oh yeah, that makes it easier for sure. Mm-hmm. You already mentioned, but tell us a little more about the the banjo you used. You said it was a Mike Ramsey.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's at a Appomattox, Virginia and I've had this um, forever and I don't know much about Banjo vocabulary so I can't really tell you anything about it other than I it, really like it and <laughs> it's open back and um, I think it's like a normal normal size neck and all that
0: Normal size pot, is that 11 inch or 12 inch?
1: Mm, I don't know If you If
0: you hold it up I could probably tell by looking Really?
1: that look 11 yeah
0: I think it's 11
1: cool
0: yeah it looks normal (laughs) cool and any other details that you want to share about like the recording process you know you, you you said you were in an empty house and Critter brought some microphones over do you know what like microphones you used for your banjo or anything else you want to tell us about like the setup that
2: yeah I
1: have it I know I have it written down somewhere and I might be able to find it because i'm pretty sure it's in a note on my phone okay i found it i have at least some of them so there was an omni mic in the center i'm not sure what type of mic that was the one on the banjo was a km88 Mm -hmm. and don't have a note on what the mic on paul was but just like, cause maybe it's interesting for bass players, like in terms of positioning of Mike, you know, there's set. So, the bases are so big. So there's a lot of real estate and I think it was pretty high up, which they do that to get more of the like finger sound. Right. I
0: think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can adjust the, the balance a bit that way.
1: Yeah. And then on Mike, it was a U89 in hypercardioid.
0: Very cool. Um, you said you wanted to mention something else about the, impromptu sessions as a as a category
1: oh yeah yeah so when um so padiddle records it's paul's label that has uh. been basically it, it's he started it as the home for hawk music to be released mm-hmm. um And then he kind of was thinking like, you know, we're all friends and we work together a lot in different configurations. So it it would be a cool home for like everything that we all do, like all the side projects and stuff. So Jordan's solo albums, Jordan Tice, his Mm. solo albums have come out on that. And Paul has produced and played on those. And then Wes Corbett, who you've probably had on here.
2: Sure. A couple um, times. Nice.
1: So his album Cascade also came out on Padiddle and Paul played on that. And, um, and then, and then I was like, okay, I've got an album, like, which you know because you played on it, but can it be on Padiddle? And Paul was like, huh, like, yes, but let me think about it. And, and the reason being is because, the way that this was recorded, it was so spur of the moment and not really focused on trying to get the most amazing sound because we weren't in a studio. We were like in this little room with mattresses trying to like dampen the bases right. and make it sound <laughs> at least somewhat decent. Um, yeah. so that yeah, so the, the sound quality was not the highest priority on it. It was more about capturing that moment. So that was when he kind of was like, okay, let's, let's create a series under the label that that is a home for this music so that it, it's distinguished from the studio albums. And then at the, at the same time, Dominic Leslie, the mandolin player in Hawktail, he had this new project that he'd recorded with his friend, Rick Robertson, who's also an amazing mandolin player. Yeah. And they're really old friends and they have this really cool synergy together where they can just sort of sit down and just play all this crazy expansive material and explore it together. And it's really beautiful. So, so they'd made this album I think it was also made either in Dom's house or his brother's house. Sort of a similar vibe to it, for lack of a better word. So yeah. so the idea was that we would release these together and have them be the start of this series. So so Dom and Rick's album is number two of
0: the impromptu sessions. Very cool. And there could be just a essentially unlimited number of these depending on who wants to record something. Totally. Yeah. Very nice. So I guess the last thing is just like tell people how to find you and your music and and where to purchase the album if they if they want to.
1: Sure. Yeah. So it's available on the Padiddle Records store, which is padiddlerecords.com/store. And for the audio files out there, it's a Squarespace website, and they wouldn't, they, there wasn't enough space to to put the wave files. So if you're looking for wave files, you should go to Bandcamp. Okay. Search for it on there and you can get it in that quality. Um and it comes with the liner notes when you download it and feel free to stream like that's totally cool too. I just want people to listen to it and
0: hopefully enjoy it. And cool album cover too. I
1: Thanks. Like that yeah, that's by Tom Rosen, the great mandolin
0: player and artist. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, Brittany. Well, thanks for everything. And I really dig the music, whether it's uh, whether it's fiddle or banjo. Just keep, uh, keep up the good work. All right. <laughs>
1: thanks so much, Keith. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks, everyone, for joining me. All those sound clips can be found on that new Brittany Haas album. So please go check that out extra special thanks to this episode's Patreon supporter of the show. That's Joel Meredith. Join Joel, you know, hopefully Joel will make it, to this month's VIP Lounge. That's Thursday, May 19th at 9pm Eastern. Get a hold of me at Picky Fingers Banjo podcast at gmail.com and probably before the next episode drops, maybe I will see a few of you at Del Fest. Looking forward to it. Come say hi to me if you're there.